Hi, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I don't just cover films of the 1980s. I really cover all eras of films, including brand new movies. I do another podcast that's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast, where I do cover brand new movies. I do encourage you to check that out. You can find the link at my website, quipster.net. Today I'm going to be looking at the second part of a three-part series in which we look at future dystopias specifically related to certain cities. Last episode I looked at Los Angeles in the year 2019, at least as envisioned from the year 1982 in Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. This week, I'm going to look at another film that covers what the future might be like in the year 2019. And by the way, that's the year I'm recording this podcast in 1988's Akira. Now, Akira started off as a comic book back in 1982, which also envisioned the year 2019, the same year as Blade Runner, and that also envisioned 2019. So kind of a coincidence there that these two very seminal works from 1982 that envisioned 2019 still very relevant today even though those futures definitely did not happen. Now, Akira is an R-rated film. It does have graphic violence and some brief nudity. The runtime is two hours and four minutes. The cast, it's hard to describe because there are different versions of this film. The original Japanese language cast includes Mitsuo Owada, Nozumo Sasaki, Mami Koyama, Tesho Jenda. I, I can go on and on. There are a couple of different notable English dubs. There are many other languages that it's been dubbed into, so I'm not going to go into at least the vocal cast of those dubs for the purpose of this review. It really doesn't matter that much in terms of my overall grade. Katsuhiro Otomo is the director. He also co-writes the screenplay along with Iso Hashimoto. It's based on the manga by Katsuhiro Otomo himself. Akira does represent one of the most influential anime features of all time. It's based on, as I mentioned, this 1982 manga series from Otomo, who not only is co-writing this adaptation, but he's directing here his first big animated feature. And interestingly, Otomo deviates quite a bit from his own source material, which is kind of rare for a filmmaker adapting their own work. He actually is adapting, actually, it's a very small part of that source material, about a third of the actual storyline that you would find in the manga. He's radically changing here, and that includes radically changing the ultimate direction in the plot of the manga into this film once you get past the Tokyo prologue. The manga that inspired the film, that ran from 1982 to 1990, it was still being produced and published at the time that Otomo was making this film, and much of the screenplay had been developed early in that manga's run, so the film really has to go in a different direction, especially with the sprawling epic already having printed over 2,000 pages of material by the time of the film's release. Akira was made on a budget of about a billion yen, which sounds like a lot. It's only roughly about eight or nine million dollars, but that still is reportedly the most expensive animated film produced in Japan to that date. And it does look and feel like an epic film. It has giant explosions, heightened expressionistic acting, vocal acting, as well as the animation. And there is plenty of technological prowess on display at all times. This was released into theaters in the United States, the first anime to get a considerable North American cinema distribution. Reportedly, there were only 10 prints of the film to show at any given time in the United States, but they did play for a long time at various art house theaters. 
and at college campuses. And that's where I actually saw this film for the first time back in, I think, the year 1990 or so when I was in college. And I will say I didn't understand it too much then. I understand it a little bit more now because I know what I'm getting into. This did get a major distribution deal because there was a hope that anime could have some crossover appeal in movie theaters, the way that its style was influencing a lot of animated television shows in the United States at the time, Star Blazers, aka Space Battleship Yamamoto, Robotech, and Voltron. These were all very much influenced by that anime style. Unfortunately, though, it did fail to get a lot of traction. It garnered less than a half million dollars in its limited run in the United States, maybe because older audiences who were unaccustomed to the emotive Japanese anime did not really get it the way that many teenagers were because they were growing up on this kind of style. But the R rating for this film, mostly because it is a very bloody film, it does have some body horror elements, was enough to keep many of those teenagers away from going to the theater, even though the movie and the manga are both primarily aimed at uh, an adult crowd, or at least teenagers who don't mind adult material in their violence, I guess. Still, it did have some traction in Japan, although it wasn't necessarily a huge mega blockbuster, but such things are understood there as far as animation being something that adults would definitely partake in. So other reasons for the marketing failure may be in order as well. I think people didn't know exactly what to make of it or even how to market it to American audiences. Nevertheless, it would quickly become a cult film once it hit home video and on cable TV. Those same teenagers are now a little bit older. They could access it much more easily, and it would eventually grow to be a regular favorite for adults at showings at midnight matinees in major cities for people whose eyes were beginning to open up to Japanese animation and its rich science fiction-based storylines. Now, Akira starts off in 1988, at least in the movie version. The print version started off in 1982. And much of Tokyo here is destroyed by this mysterious explosion that ends up spreading like this dome of energy over the city. And the rest of the film is set in the presumptive year of 2019 as we peek into this post-apocalyptic megalopolis that has been rebuilt from the ashes of Tokyo, now known as Neo-Tokyo. The government is corrupt. Civil unrest looms large. Biker gangs run the streets. One member of such a biker gang is named Tetsuo Shima, who ends up seemingly running into this escapee from a government experiment who uses some sort of powers to protect himself from getting run over. The escapee is eventually taken back into custody, as is Tetsuo, who also becomes part of this experiment to bring out his apparent dormant psychic abilities. The government is trying to give their subjects the ability to read minds or perform telekinesis, whatever those innate gifts that they have that they didn't know they had are going to be brought out. However, due to Tetsuo's difficult life, the powers that he attains becomes more than the less-than-grounded lad can handle emotionally. So he ends up springing himself from the scientific lab, and he begins to wreak havoc on the streets of Neo-Tokyo. He's on the search for a powerful but absent entity known as Akira, who is seen as the person responsible for causing the explosion in 1988. Tetsuo's emergence raises the specter of Akira anew, the protesters in the city see him as this force that is meant to stem the tide of a military takeover and all of the tension threatens to destroy the city of Tokyo, Neo-Tokyo here all over again, if Tetsuo's friends cannot stop his rampage. As the city seeks to rebuild, especially in the wake of this upcoming 
2020 Olympic Games, and just by coincidence, 2020's actual Summer Olympics is going to be taking place in Tokyo. How about that for getting it right, at least as far as what's going to happen in the future? Nevertheless, the problems that once plagued the city continue to manifest here. History is doomed to repeat itself for never addressing the woes the first time around. So much more to this story than that. This is a very layered storyline and pretty dense. Not the kind of movie that I think you're going to get everything out of the first time you watch it. So I do recommend multiple viewings. I watched it twice this week for the purpose of this review. And I could watch it again and find even more thematic material to discuss. It's one of those kind of movies. Now, one of the main themes to this film that I'm going to discuss here is that things are done for science and the advancement of technology, especially on its effect on humans. And while technological experimentation may accelerate society and really make us leap forward into what humans can do, it actually may often be bad for us as a whole because of safeguards that we don't put in place in these advancements. We see this in this movie, the individuals who are experimented upon themselves, they successfully show psychic and telekinetic powers. However, those powers come as a detriment to their selves because they cannot control the rapid changes that are occurring within their bodies and their minds as a result. And indeed, we are introduced to Tetsuo's admiring capsule gang leader Kaneda's teched-out bike and then being told it would eat him alive because he just couldn't handle it. And that's foreshadowing his story arc to come. You could extend this to civilization as a whole. We try to take humanity to a higher plane, but those efforts end up resulting in the destruction of the civilization itself, perhaps. You know, you think about nuclear energy and what we've done with that. It definitely could destroy life as we know it if we don't employ those safeguards. Now, capsules and drugs are a symbol within the film. Drugs often come in a capsulized form for the intent of making the consumer feel better. However, misuse or abuse or its side effects can often make things much worse for the person who takes them. So that's another main theme. And of course, a lot of science fiction within Japanese manga and anime and films allude to the nuclear destruction that occurred during World War II, the result of advancements in science that have led to the destruction of millions of people and continues to be a threat to human existence to this day. This is going to happen again in the inevitable crux of Akira's narrative, because those who seek to stop it only end up adding more tension to the situation, perhaps further taking us to the brink of our own destruction. Now, another theme within this film is the perpetuation of human cruelty. You have a very brutal police force. You have angry mobs, rebellious teens, bullies everywhere, corrupt politicians, government labs that perform dehumanizing experiments. Neo-Tokyo here representing this society that does not care much about each other. Each faction serves only to propagate the advancement of their own particular interests, regardless of the impact that they may have on everyone else, something that we can definitely relate to today. All of these factions cause perpetual friction upon one another until the entire city becomes on edge, with just the slightest provocation necessary to make things boil over, perhaps. The human race is much like Tetsuo, not emotionally or philosophically ready to handle this giant leap in capabilities. We're ultimately threatening to implode or explode from the major changes that are continuing to occur without really having a good handle on how to process them for the self and for others. Although generally Akira is regarded as a landmark anime feature, there are a few things that make this film a tonally imbalanced viewing for many people coming into it without any experience within the genre. I mean, 
There's a semi-romance subplot that develops within the course of this otherwise harrowing cataclysmic event. Another notion is Tetsuwa's friends have decided that they are the ones who are going to take their friend down and that places them in the middle of the story. That definitely threatens not only the city and the world, they become some sort of action heroes. It, it seems a little quaint if you're not really familiar with the genre. Another example I could give is the shifting mood between angsty and emotional tragedy or borderline slapstick comedy that sometimes occurs within this film. This is a movie that you kind of have to get used to its particular world and the way that it expresses its emotions and its storytelling. And that storytelling may leave some viewers baffled as to exactly what's going on, especially on a first-time viewing. And that may also make the venture to see it to the end kind of a challenge for those people who are not determined to look more deeply into the roots of its philosophical underpinnings on societal growing pains. This is a movie that could definitely lose audiences early and they may never recover. But I also think this is a movie that does reap great rewards if you're willing to dig a little deeper into it and give it multiple chances, I definitely do recommend that you do that. Now, the animation here is gorgeous. Otomo's gift for architecture, especially coming into full play. This is a very detailed film, especially in the way that it depicts buildings and technology and motorcycles and cars. And all of that is very well hand-drawn here. This movie also uses hundreds and hundreds of colors, many of which were never ever used at any time in any animated movie prior to its release. In fact, it's credited with having over 50 colors that have never been used before in films. It's still without rival, I think, in that respect. In addition to the original Japanese language version, there are two major dubbed releases of Akira. The one that was created for the U.S. theatrical release back in 1989, and another one that was redubbed for another release back in 2001. Both dubs are considered of good quality. However, people who are older fans who took in the original prefer the original and don't have a lot of regard for the 2001. Meanwhile, those who were introduced to the 2001 dub can't really stand hearing the old one that they're not accustomed to, so I guess it depends on which one you're exposed to first. Over the years, there have been several attempts to craft a live-action version of Akira, but each one has found its way into development hell, and then they were subsequently scrapped. Mainly the reasons why stem from the cost of bringing this to life. This is a very epic film with a lot of destruction, a lot of technology to have to bring in, a pretty wide cast, a lot of detail as well. And so it's a bit difficult to balance doing a proper adaptation that's going to appeal to mainstream audiences who are largely unfamiliar with the concept, while also trying to be true to its roots. This is a movie that's kind of in limbo in terms of finding mainstream appeal because I think a lot of the thematic material may get lost in the translation if you're doing a big budget film. So it's a difficult movie to make into a live action format. Now in the case of director Josh Trank, he actually tried to secure the rights to Akira. He made his own version of the film when he couldn't get those rights. He had a limited budget to do it though. It was released into theaters a few years ago as the movie called Chronicle. Definitely a lot of similarities to Akira, although done on a very personal scale. It's very small scale. It was announced that Taika Waititi has announced a date to release his live-action remake 
Leonardo DiCaprio, who's owned the film rights for a while now, he is going to be a producer on the film. Maybe Taika Waititi could have better luck than any who have come before. He said he's going to be much more reverent to the material. And as long as the investors, the people who are going to back his vision, are on board, I think he has the best chance of actually bringing it to live action life. So we will see what happens as far as my grades for the film, I definitely think this is a film that's worth going out of your way to see. It's one of those movies that's a little bit complicated because the more I see it, the more I like it. But for right now, I'm going to give it a three and a half star out of four review. Three and a half stars on my scale means I do think that this is a good film. I definitely encourage people who may not have seen it to give it a try. Give it maybe more than one try. It's one of those movies, like I said, that reaps greater rewards the more you see it. I think if I watched it a few more times, maybe in a few years... I may come to even appreciate it enough to give it a four-star review. However, for now, I do think that Akira is a solid movie and definitely one I would recommend. Three and a half stars out of four for Akira. As far as what I'm going to be reviewing next, it's a movie that came out in 1981 and is set in New York at a future date. And that future date is 1997, a post-apocalyptic science fiction action film Directed by John Carpenter, and I'm talking about, I know you're way ahead of me, Escape from New York, a classic film from the 1980s, from 1981, and that will be the review on my very next episode. So check out Escape from New York, especially if you haven't seen it already. I do think you'll have a lot of fun with that one. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. If you have your own thoughts on Akira or any other film that I've been reviewing, or if you just want to make a suggestion as to what you want me to cover in the future, I actually have a few that I'm going to get to, and it's really hard to get to all of them, but I eventually will in the sidewindy way that I do this show where I cover themes. Eventually, I'll get to all of your requests, so I do encourage you to continue to give me more because I may get to yours first because I may get to a new suggestion before I get to some of the older suggestions in the way that I thematically do this podcast. So keep those suggestions coming in. You can find my contact information at my website. That's at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. And until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. Quipster.